0: I'm Kyle Collins, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast.
1: I've been pretty clear that I've lived a charmed life. Yes, there were speed bumps along the way. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen to lose my father. Yet, I was brought up in a family surrounded by love and enough material wealth to thrive. In some ways, I had it easy. That's not to say, however, that I escaped unscathed. We all come from generations of family members, and the suffering is often handed down in the form of generational trauma. It's no surprise that I struggle with understanding what enough money looks like when I come from a grandmother who lived in an orphanage during the Great Depression. As I said, no one escapes unscathed. The better question is not what trauma we have inherited, but better yet, how do we not make that same mistake and pass the burden to our children? Kyle Collins trained as a chiropractor and worked for over three years before deciding that while he liked taking care of people, it was not doing the job when it came to paying off debt. So he pivoted into a highly successful career in solar sales. In his new book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, Time-Tested Principles to Get Unstuck, Expand Your Influence, and Illuminate Your World, he describes, among other things, his battle with generational trauma and how he's working to shield his two young daughters. Kyle Collins, welcome to earn and invest. I want to jump right in. Tell us about the night your drunk father pulled a gun on your family.
0: It's one of my first childhood memories, very first memories ever. It wasn't uncommon for my dad to be drunk or to come home and have knocked down, dragged down fights. Thankfully, I had an older brother who was my protector, but I just, I recall that night having such fear that I don't know what's going to happen, right? Came home drunk from the bar, him and my mom got in an argument and then just got out a gun and, and threatened our lives. And so we slept in the bathroom for that night. And why he didn't come in, I have no idea. But my my mom, my brother and I slept in the second bathroom of our home. Thankfully, nothing happened. But that's one of my first memories. Not a positive not a positive one.
1: Was it a regular occurrence that you actually felt threatened? I mean, obviously, there's this stark memory of he pulled a gun out. But was this kind of a common occurrence that you guys would be worried about your safety?
0: I would say no. Most of the abuse was towards my mother and my older brother and they were my protectors. So I was kind of shielded from most of that. I I witnessed it, but I was kind of protected from the actual abuse myself.
1: So in the book, you describe yourselves as the Backwoods Boy. Tell us a little Uh, bit about where you grew up and what kind of environment that you spent your younger years.
0: And I simply did that, Jordan, because there's a great country song called The Backwoods Boy and the Fairy Tale Princess. So I like to contrast where I grew up versus my wife growing up in Copenhagen. But the the reason I use that terminology is I grew up in an area where I graduated with 36 people in high school. There's probably more cows and pigs and farm animals than there is. Um, I grew up, though, like I always felt around me, I had a lot of family nearby, felt a lot of love, always felt once my parents got divorced, I always felt protected and safe in that environment. But I don't feel like I grew up with a lot of, you know, Chicago or Copenhagen or a lot of these other other city type lifestyle you know I, I never went to a show or you know it was a half an hour to drive to see any movie and you know you got to see what they were showing
1: was there wealth i mean was there a model of what having money looked like around you
0: no most people i knew were living paycheck to paycheck one you know most families i grew up with were one one car accident, one uh, devastating illness away from, I don't know how we're going to survive. So what I saw growing up financially was, you know, basically a very, a mindset that was very scarce and there wasn't things in abundance and you really had to work for whatever you earned.
1: So I want to jump right into the book. In the first section of the first chapter, you start with the concept of love and specifically self-love. I want to turn that around a little bit. Obviously, you know, on one hand, you talk about some of that trauma, right? Your father and drinking and the gun and feeling safe, et etc. But on the other hand, you also were surrounded by family and felt like there was some love present. So in general, do you feel like you were pretty loved growing up?
0: Yeah, thankfully, my grandparents grew up right next door to us. Also, I had cousins, aunts and uncles. Like, we grew up on a street, there were five houses in a row that were all of my family. So even though my immediate home was unsafe or felt unsafe, I could go to any one of these neighbors who were my family members and feel like, okay, I'm going to be protected here. I'm going to thrive in this environment outside of my actual home.
1: And we talked about the general economic situation in your town. What about your parents' economic situation? How was money for you within your household?
0: Yeah. So my parents, my dad did not graduate high school. I, like twenty years later, helped him get his GD. And then my mom. I mean, my parents had me when they were twenty, and I've got a brother who's five years older than me. So do the math. (laughs) Um, I I grew up not knowing anything. I mean, I saw very good work ethic, how to do a blue collar job, and work incredibly hard, but I never knew anything. I mean, the biggest thing I saw was my grandparents. They would pay, besides their house, they paid cash for everything. And if they didn't pay cash, they could not afford it. So that's kind of where my understanding of finances came into play. I mean, I saw several family members get cars repossessed, houses repossessed, bankruptcies. I mostly experienced negative side of finances growing up.
1: So we've kind of mentioned kind of the physical trauma that you endured, especially when you were much younger before your parents got divorced. We talked a touch about the financial trauma, growing up somewhere poor, being paycheck to paycheck, worrying about having enough to pay for any emergency that happened. Let's also talk about something else that happened to you that we haven't really mentioned is there was also birth trauma. So you kind of had a difficult time as a little baby. What exactly happened?
0: The story I hear, obviously, I, I was there, but I don't remember it. Um, my mom told me I was born about two and a half months, premature, umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. And at that point, I was born in 1986. I mean, you're you're a doc, you know, there's not a lot of <laughs> technologies come a long way. Science has come a long way. Um, so at that point, I was in the NICU for a long time, you know, basically living off of respirators and the hospital was keeping me alive. And then I was very sick as a child. I had strep throat all the time and just a lot of a lot of illnesses as a kid as well. Thankfully, you know, the doctors had told my parents, you know, if this child survives, it's less than, you know, five, seven percent. And if he does survive, probably cerebral palsy or something won't be a normal kid.
1: There's one other thing I want to talk about kind of as you were growing up, before we really address your book and generational trauma and, and some of what the conclusions you came to based on your upbringing, but there was one more episode I found really interesting. Is you went off to college, and when you came back, I don't know if it was after first year, what have you, you found a notice that you weren't paying your credit cards. Tell me about what exactly happened there.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So went through high school, I ended up being valedictorian, and got all of my 124 credits paid for, and then I also had some scholarships, and so I was very good. In in my mind, I was very good financially. I came home summer break between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And I find five credit cards in my name. And I'm like, I've never opened a credit card. What the heck is this? Come to find out, you know, a family member had opened credit cards in my name. And I had about $6,500 of credit card debt. So as a 19 year old, I called up these different credit card companies and asked, Hey, what will you settle for? I've got this cash scholarship that I can use however I want. I've got $5,000. Can we settle for this amount? Ended up settling for $4,900. So I made a hundred bucks.
1: <laughs> but you had to use your scholarship money.
0: I did. Yeah. And thankfully, I mean, I'm I'm super thankful that I had that money, but it was still like a punch in the gut. Not only the financial aspect, but more so the trust that was broken with this family member. That was very hard to swallow. Did not want to prosecute though, because I didn't want them to go to jail wherever they might go. <laughs>
1: You met your wife, I believe you were in high school. I imagine for you, a lot of the traumas you went through, probably you just felt that's normal life, right? People grow up and this is what they experience. What happened when you met your wife to be at this time, you were both teenagers. What did you think of your experience when you started getting to know her and learn about her family life?
0: I was shocked. I mean, growing up, I felt blessed. I felt like I was the person I saw a lot worse than what I had. Right. So I always felt like, you know, I, I could have a much worse life than I have. Then when I got to talking about my wife and all the things she's experienced, you know, you know, age two, she was probably in Bali or Thailand or something. Her parents took her backpacking all over the world. So just to hear the different perspectives we had, that's where the backwoods boy and fairy tale prince has come in is I felt like, holy cow, I've been, I've been loved, but I've been sheltered in a way where I don't know anything about the world at all. And my wife is this very cultured person who's seen many countries. She saw more states than I had. like It was pretty crazy. So it was very interesting for me to hear the different perspectives on life, her growth mindset, the way she looked at the world versus the way I viewed the world. I didn't have my first airplane ride until I went from Michigan to Denmark. That was my first ever trip was across the Atlantic Ocean.
1: You know, as you speak about these things, you speak of them very optimistically. And so when you talk about meeting your girlfriend then wife, you talk about how she had a world opened up to her that you didn't have. But I want to push the idea of trauma a little more, too. Did you ever look at your upbringing and say, boy, I kind of went through a lot of crap and maybe this wasn't normal?
0: Once I got to college and started being around more of my peers, like my wife introduced me to this. And then when I got to college and started seeing how other people grew up, realizing my story was pretty unique. I do. At that point, I did recognize, holy cow, there's a lot of trauma I've overcome, you know, thankfully for my grandparents and my faith, all of those things help solidify who I was. And then I got into a men's group when I was in college, men's Bible study. But yes, it was a very stark contrast from the way I grew up from most of my roommates or my friends in college, vastly different story.
1: Talk about joining that men's group specifically. Was there a moment where maybe you started telling people more about your background where it really hit you that, boy, this, you know, I survived and I'm doing fine and I'm great and I'm optimistic, but I kind of went through a bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think on the surface, Jordan, I mean, I was I was, I channeled all of this negative energy into academics, sports, like I was very likable, I was homecoming king. So I, I channeled all of this stuff into positive social things. I think once I got to college, once I joined that men's group and they started asking me questions about my upbringing, about my life, and then I gave my answers, I could just see in their eyes, like, you seem so normal and optimistic on the external surface. But internally, you've had all this turmoil. So, you know, what gives, man? I think that was the point I realized, like, number one, I'm harboring a lot of unforgiveness and resentment. I need to let that go if I'm going to reach the potential I have and the the man I want to eventually be. And they helped guide me. They helped me like, hey, these are the steps you need to take to forgive your father, to forgive this person that stole your credit, to to get over this life trauma that you've had. If you truly want to be the person you're telling us you want to become, you have to let go of the past. You have to forgive and then move forward. Let it be a springboard to something better.
1: I want to talk about the mindset and the achievements, because you sound like even in high school and college, you were a major overachiever. Looking back, was that a coping mechanism? And specifically, was it a healthy one or an unhealthy one? Because I could see both sides of it.
0: Yeah, I, I think... I I thought it was healthy, but now I recognize I've just jumped from one achievement to the another to another. Like your book, it talks about the the achievement treadmill. Like that is my form of that it, that was my therapy. I I put everything into sports. I put everything into academics. I put everything into being a people pleaser and and liking making sure I like people and people like me. And I think that just gets exhausting. I reached a point in my life in my career where I was just jumping from one achievement to the next. And if I didn't have something I was actively pursuing, I felt kind of empty inside. And so there was a lot of internal work I had to do. And honestly, the best thing that could have happened to us is after my first daughter was born, we moved to Europe for a year. And that just allowed me to really step back and say, hey, you've achieved a lot in your life, but you've also, you you also have a lot of self-worth you need to work on. Like you have all these things that are building your confidence, but Inside, you might have a negative voice. You might be telling yourself you're not good enough. So it was a very stark dichotomy between, you know, externally what I was presenting versus internally what I was feeling.
1: I want to eventually talk about the kids and the profound impact that had on you. And in many ways, I think is the reason you ended up writing this book. But before we do, how hard was it to forgive the people in your life? I mean, it's really easy to say, okay, I need to forgive people from my past and I'm going to feel better for it, and it's going to be good for me. But saying it is a lot different than feeling it. How much did you struggle with that, especially during those kind of college years when it was really dawning on you? You're part of this men's group. They're asking these difficult questions. Was it immediate? Was it like, okay, this is good for me. I need to forgive you. Or, Or was it more of a process?
0: It was a process. I recognized, I mean, I knew this was holding me back. I knew these things, this bitterness. My I, I write a quote in the book, and my uncle has this great thing. He told me he's like, not forgiving somebody is like drinking the poison yourself and expecting someone else to be affected by it. So I recognize I had this poison inside that I wasn't releasing. So it was a process. But I also recognize if hindsight's 2020. So if I put myself in these individuals' shoes, knowing what I know now or knowing what I knew then, I recognize financially strapped two kids by 20, like, there's just a lot of, they had their own trauma from their upbringing and growing up. And I don't know, I don't know how I recognize that. I mean, I I feel like I was a pretty mature, early 20 something, because I was able to put myself in their shoes and say, hey, my upbringing might not have been great. But is that Trauma that they're passing down that wasn't healed, right? Could
1: could you identify that trauma? I mean, could you look back and go, "Oh yeah," because because you said your grandparents were also there, and at least the set of your grandparents who were around seemed to be very nurturing and loving and helpful. Could you go back and look at your mom and dad and say, "Ah, you know, I why I know why Dad's struggling with alcoholism or violence or abuse." Like I can see the story and how it progressed from the generations.
0: I can, yeah, and. My dad's father, my paternal grandfather was great. He was super good to us as grandchildren. But hearing some of my aunt and um, my aunt and my father's backstories about the way they grew up, they weren't showing a lot of love. It was more, hey, we're growing up in the 60s and 70s. Like, you just do your job and don't necessarily have a lot of love expressed. So I understood my dad didn't have a lot of love shown to him in ways that was acceptable. And he then didn't know how to pass that down to his children.
1: I feel like a lot of us actually cling to our generational trauma and turn it into a badge of excellence. Like, mm. I went through that, and that's why I'm as you know great as I am now, achieve the things I did, etc. Did you struggle with this idea of the pressure and the stress made you better versus the pressure and the stress was unfair. And it's too bad. I had to deal with that. Like, was there ever that dichotomy in your own brain? No,
0: I never felt that way. Once I got to college and realized what I went through was pretty tough. I never, I was never, woe is me? I was like, you know what? This has really made me who I am. And this has made me be as strong and as resilient as I am because of what I went through. I saw a lot of my friends in college that grew up, you know, Trust fund babies, everything was paid for, everything was taken care of by their parents. And I just look at the vast differences between me and them in terms of how we want to live our lives, you know, how responsible we are, how willing we are to work hard. So I always looked at my upbringing as, you know what, it sucked. But in the same way, I wouldn't change it because I am who I am because of the struggle.
1: You know, I have trouble with this, right? The difference between generational trauma, the bad things that happen to us, and generational growth, the things we learn from growing, going through what we went through. And so let's look at this as a lens of, okay, I love this woman. I'm dating. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. How do you… I don't want to say justify, but how do you look at breaking the generational trauma? Right. Which I think is very much a big part of this book is recognizing the bad things you went through and not putting your kids through them, but also recognizing that some of the great things you are came from that hardship too. like, how do you put that in perspective when you're going to be thinking about having your own kids, knowing that maybe in some strange way you benefited from that trauma?
0: Yeah. It's a very hard question to answer because I've dealt with this. I've had this thought in my mind, like, I don't want to be that helicopter parent that's doing everything for my kids, but I also don't want to be the parent that is just like totally neglectful and they have to suffer completely because of me. I think the way I've went around it is I want to purposely institute some type of struggle. So even if we're very well off, I do not think I will pay for our kids' college if they choose to go to college or pay for their first car i think we'll do some type of match system where you know you're gonna work you're gonna put this much money towards this thing maybe we'll match you or, or whatever so my thought has been i kind of want to meet in the middle i don't want to do everything for them but i also don't want to just like totally derail their life because most of the people in my situation that i saw most of my friends by eighth grade what they had went through we went one of two ways either we went on an upward trajectory and used it for good or most of them drugs dropped out of school what have you so i i really recognize there was a turning point once people get to that age of consciousness where they know what actually happened in their background you can either let it drive you higher or let it totally derail your life and yeah i, I like
1: this idea of building some struggle into your child's upbringing, but by nature it has to be artificial, right? Because we don't want them to go through the bad stuff we went through. Right. So when I was talking about my own story, like my maternal grandmother ended up living in an orphanage during the great depression. So she often had issues with money and enough and having enough for what she needed, which were very much passed down to my mother. Like I can tell you about times during childhood where we had plenty of money and yet there was a huge fear about spending And then my father died and there was even a bigger fear about having enough. And now, you know, generations later, while I have got to this place of financial independence, the idea of spending still feels difficult and painful for me. And I know that's almost part of my DNA, right? And so I'm trying to think about this idea of how we create that artificial struggle for our kids, but in a way that doesn't harm us, right? That doesn't imprint our DNA in a bad way. And so it's interesting that you've come to that point. So you specifically are like, I need to build the struggle in a healthy way and for my children, or at least that was the game plan at the outset.
0: Yeah, that's the goal. How that looks, I don't quite know yet. I will say, though, I mean, my wife is from Europe. None of my family's around. So we have had a struggle in a way of we're in Chicago. We don't have any family help. We're raising two kids on our own. My wife's got a very demanding job as a physician in a way it's going to be built in struggles because we don't have the help that we normally would if we live next door to our family. So, so far, that's what we found. We also try, I mean, we speak two languages at home to our kids. We're we're trying to set them up for success, but also we want to let them know like life, life can be difficult. We're going to shield you as much as we can, but we also have to expose you to some of these things as well. And I do think we want to do doctors without borders or go on mission trips to third world countries like we need to expose them to these things where they recognize how good they actually have it
1: we are talking to kyle collins who trained as a chiropractor and worked for over three years before deciding that while he liked taking care of people it was not doing the job when it came to paying off debt and we are talking about generational trauma We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances, and our budget has changed. But we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel, and we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like we were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer focused really Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's dot ycom slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Kyle Collins. He is the author of the book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, Time-Tested Principles to Get Unstuck, Expand Your Influence, and Illuminate Your World. And in this book, he describes, among other things, his battle with generational trauma and how he's working to shield his two young daughters. Kyle, let's talk about that a little bit. I get the feeling that you wrote this book very much for your daughters, to give them a roadmap as they grow older but I also got the feeling that it wasn't just for your daughters. Tell me about who you wanted to reach with this book.
0: Your intuition is awesome because as I, when I, when I had this thought up, it was, and at that point I only had one daughter, we weren't pregnant with our second yet. But as I was writing this, it was very cathartic for me. It was almost healing and therapy for myself to write down these things and like, look at where you were to where you've gone. And, So I intentionally wrote this book for our kids. And as I wrote it, probably three chapters in, I was like, this is good. I mean, humbly, (laughs) this is good. I I need more people to understand this or, or read these words. And so I got to a point where I pivoted from just to our kids. I'm only going to write this for our kids to now saying, hey, I recognize there's a lot of people that can get value from this book and can change their lives in a positive way by reading these words. Yeah, so now I'm at the point where, hey, I need to spread this as far as I can see as many people getting this book as they can.
1: Am I correct in saying that whether you specifically thought in these terms or not, a big part of this book was to break that cycle of generational trauma to kind of give them a better vision going forward of of how they should do things?
0: Yeah, I didn't intentionally start that way. But as I was writing that, yes, that thought crossed my mind, like, this is where where your dad grew up and look at the things we've overcome, overcome this generational trauma, it will not be passed down to you. So it was kind of after the fact looking back. But yeah, your assumption is correct.
1: I think there are a lot of people who will read this and recognize similarity in their own life. So of course, maybe they weren't born prematurely. They maybe they didn't have an abusive family member but they probably can look back and say, yes, there's these generational things that have been handed down that are affecting me, that are going to affect my ability to parent. It sounds like joining that men's group was pivotal for you. Someone reading this, who's like, geez, I'm I'm in that place that he was in college. Maybe I'm a little older. Maybe I have kids already, but I really, really want to change this for the future. Like, how do you begin?
0: I think beginning is for me, the beginning was talking about it. Once I actually verbally express and was able to confide in other people, that's when things change. Because when you hold it in, when you think about it, you know, going on walks, playing all these sports, doing all the stuff I was doing was awesome. It it was therapy for me. But once I actually opened up and trusted other people to tell my story, that's when things changed. That's when I was able to like, not only forgive these people, but actually get over it and use it as a building block to move forward in my life. So I think you really need to seek out people that you trust, that you can just pour your heart out and then have an accountability person to say, Hey, you said you wanted to do this. You know, are you following through on it? Are you being the person you want to be based on what you said?
1: You met your wife when you were young. And in fact, she was doing a year in the US and saw where you grew up, right? She saw where you grew up. She met a lot of the people, but her family experience was utterly different. How did it go when you actually had a kid? and now you're struggling to break this generational trauma, you want to do things better and differently. Was there any pushback from her? Kind of like, maybe we're being too hard on them. Maybe we should be easier. Maybe we don't have to worry about these things as much, because I imagine that she came from a very different place with very different issues.
0: There hasn't been pushback, because so it was a very good time in my life to meet her. I was going through all of this stuff, you know, my family feeling, stealing my identity. I lost a brother. I had a brother go to prison. You know, All of this 18-month period of my life was when I was falling in love with Didi, my wife. And so I think for her, she saw exactly my background. She knew what she was walking into. And we intentionally, I mean, we've had a relationship 10 years long distance. We've been able to build our relationship on trust. And so I think she recognized like, hey, I know what you've had in your in your back history. But I also know I see your heart. I see your desire to want to do better for your kids. And we'll we'll follow each other. We're going to take care of our kids in the right way. So I think it was actually a good thing, especially that we met when we
1: did. So let's talk about how you've actually broken this cycle of generational trauma. It sounds like forgiveness was a huge part, right? So you started this men's group. They taught you about forgiveness. You went back and forgave some of those people in your life who maybe didn't treat you as best as they could or, or were passing on to you that generational trauma. Let's talk about alcohol. It sounds like you stayed away from alcohol for a good part of your childhood.
0: Yeah. I mean, addiction runs hardcore in my family. Gambling, alcohol, cigarettes, just a wide variety of of addictions run rampant in my family. And I knew that. And I always I always said I didn't want to be like my father in the fact that I did not want to be an alcoholic. And because addiction did run in my family, it was a purposeful choice to not drink because I know I have addictive tendencies too. Like if I get a sport, I will play basketball <laughs> until I'm blue in the face or go mountain biking or whatever. So it was a purposeful choice. I did not have my first drink till I was 23. I was the best man in my buddy's wedding. And I was like, let's go for it. But yes, that was a purposeful choice because I know my lineage and also my own addictive personality that I had to steer clear. If I'm going to get addicted to something it's going to be something in in a positive direction that will drive me forward.
1: So were there any other things that you had to do intentionally to kind of break this cycle? So again, forgiveness, we talked about kind of staying away from alcohol and other addictive things, or at least channeling it to something positive. Other things you specifically did. Especially in preparation for having kids, you're like, okay, I've, I've, I've got to cut this off here.
0: Yeah, there was, there was a period of my life, even though externally, you know, I did really well in sports, academics, people liked me, whatever. There was still this small internal voice that says, I'm not good enough. I can't contribute the way I want to. I'm never, never going to reach the heights that I want to reach. And so, for me, about five years ago, I started diving into personal development, getting around people that I want to emulate, getting mentors in my life that I wanted to. Have what they had, so it was a very purposeful decision for me to say, "Hey, you know, I I have these desires in my life, but if I'm not around the right people, if I'm not around the right information, nothing's going to change. So garbage in is garbage out, right? I just started consuming as much good content as I could, which led me to your podcast.
1: Excellent. Which which is obviously clearly on the right pathway. Let's talk about self forgiveness, because one thing that I I definitely think about these things is. Even though we can go back and look at our past traumas and separate ourselves out and realize this is something that happened to us, but that we are not bad people. Like, I went through something bad, but I am not a bad person. It's a very important Mm -hmm. distinction to make. And I think it's really, really important whenever you go back and kind of retell those stories of your life. Did you struggle with self-forgiveness? Was there ever a point where you're like, yeah, I still feel bad for being a victim for for going through this stuff?
0: You made an awesome distinction there. You're you're totally right. Defining who you are, your identity versus the actions you partook in are two vastly separate things. So I think you know this, you know, losing your dad at an early age, you, you question why me? Did I do something? Could I have prevented this? It was the same when my parents got divorced. I had those same thoughts like, you know, I recognize it wasn't a great marriage, but was it something i did could i have prevented this and then i will tell you i was not the person probably until about age 15 16 you know i was a jerk i was making fun of kids on the school bus people that were overweight i was making fun of them i was putting gum in people's hair that i didn't like like there was a lot of things i did in my life that i don't think had i had i not had this unforgiveness toward myself for who i was i don't think i would have had those actions but i I know there's a famous saying that hurting people hurt people. And I think that's exactly where I was. I was so much turmoil in my own life that any outlet or any person I could push below me, that was just helping elevate myself. I wish I could take those things back, but it took me a long time for that self-forgiveness. I even wrote it in the book. Like, I'm sorry to anybody I've offended, you know, as a teenager. Super sorry.
1: We've talked about kind of general tr- generational trauma and how it's impacted how you grew up and your relationships, and even this idea of what you'll do with your kids. Talk about the financial trauma. We've kind of stayed away from that up to this point. How has it changed the way you manage money and finances? I mean, it's a big, big deal. You were classically trained as a chiropractor and did a huge career pivot. And part (laughs) of the reason was because of debt. How has generational trauma affected the way you look at money?
0: Where I grew up, again, I loved it. Hard workers, I learned my work ethic from where I grew up. But I also recognized people living paycheck to paycheck, the mindset was quite small. You could never foresee a life where you could retire in your forties or fifties or so. Once I went away to college, lived in Europe for a while, went to chiropractic school, I started all of these different life experiences led me to like, see, there's a lot of different paths here that I could take. So the reason I went to chiropractic school was because I wanted to help people. Then when I got out of chiropractic school, realizing that I had like 140 grand in debt and then as an associate doctor in somebody else's office, you're not making great money, you know, 50, 60, 70 grand a year, it's pretty hard to pay off your student loans. So at that point I was like, you know, I've always been, my, my grandparents were really good, no debt at all, no debt as much as you can steer clear. And so just having this huge monkey on my back of this over six figures of debt was intimidating. It was scary. Um, you know, I'm early thirties and I'm very negative net worth. I've got nothing to show for all the hard work I've put in for my life. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm, I I had just gotten married. My wife's inheriting this negative debt. And if I want to have the life I want for my future kids, I need to do something different. And so at that point, that's when I pivoted and it was a great decision. It really was. I miss taking care of my patients. I really do miss that. But the income, the now knowing, changing the trajectory of my family's life has been so worth it. I mean, we were able to take that year in Denmark because I had done so well in sales, banked a lot of money. And, you know, we worked very part-time for an entire year living in Copenhagen. It was great.
1: I talk about this in coaching a lot, and it, it, I think it really holds here with generational trauma. If you want the same results, do the same thing. And so I love hearing your financial story because at some point you said, I don't want the same results anymore. And so I'm gonna have to do something different. And I think this book is a great example of the same when it comes to generational trauma in general. This idea that if I don't want my kids to go through the same things as I went through, I need to actively do something different. So what are you hoping your kids get out of this book? I'll ask, what are you hoping your kids get? And then I'll ask, what do you hope other people not related to you who read this book yet. So let's start with your kids. What do you hope they get out of reading this book?
0: I hope, so really it was written with the intention. If I get hit by that proverbial bus and I'm gone, like what is going to be left behind? What legacy will I leave to them? So I want them to get to know their mom and me through this book. But more than that, I want, I want to set up a template, um, just a way for them to be successful. Like if they go through this book and they can see some of the struggles we went through, maybe that helps them avoid some of those. Or if they find themselves in those situations, they have they have skills to say, hey, I can take one of two paths here. So I really want to educate them on these are principles I've found in my life that totally allowed me to pivot from the environment I grew up in versus where we're at now. Please take this to heart and hopefully you girls can be successful because of them. And I would say it's a pretty similar outlook for people that don't know me is, you know what? There, A lot of things happen in life and I will never say anybody, what happens to us is not our fault. Absolutely not our fault, right? No matter what life you're born into, where you're born, color of your skin, any of these things are not your fault, but it is your responsibility from what you're going to do here forward. Once you learn this information, there's no going back. You either choose to be ignorant and and stay where you are, or you purposely choose to go the other direction and let that propel you to become the person you want to be.
1: Well, the book is Wherever You Go, There You Are, Time-Tested Principles to Get Unstuck, Expand Your Influence, and Illuminate Your World. And Kyle, I love this conversation because I think it reminds us of this fact that generational trauma is endemic. It is here a lot of us are suffering from it. And if we want things to be better for our children, if we want to be happier ourselves, we have to somehow learn how to break that traumatic cycle. Certainly your book helps people do that. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. Let's start with the book. If people are interested in getting this book and buying it today, how do they do that?
0: Yep. It's going to be on Amazon. The The Kindle is available for pre-order. The actual physical book will be on there soon. March 20th is the release date, March 20th, 2024. So go on Amazon. You can find it there.
1: And if people have questions specifically about you or want to know more about you, what is the best way for them to reach you?
0: I am on LinkedIn, Kyle Collins, Facebook, Kyle Collins, Instagram, Kyle 23 Collins, or I can give you my personal email and people can, you can put it in the show notes if you want and people can respond to me that way. My Gmail.
1: Kyle Collins, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. It's been an honor. Thank you, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Okay, I'm going to do something I normally don't do right here before after show segment. I'm going to ask for your help. When was the last time you told someone about Earn and Invest? When was the last time you shared an episode? When was the last time you emailed a friend and said, hey, I heard this really great conversation. I think you should take a listen. The Earn and Invest podcast is growing, but I need your help. If you like what you're hearing, if this appeals to you, let other people know, become a bigger part of the Earn and Invest community. The way you do that is A, you tell people about the show, B, you join our Facebook group at earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. This is a place where we can have conversations, discussions, and most importantly, you guys can react to to my episodes, leave comments, and then I can integrate that into A, what kind of episodes we have next, and B, the conversation we're having online and in the after show segments about what is going on with our community. These are great ways to get involved. If you're ready for that next step, there are two other ways to really take the next step, go a bit further. One is to join the Wealth With Purpose Mastermind. This mastermind, we now have 28 people. We have great conversations. Last monthly meeting, we just had a 30-minute presentation on syndications, and then we went over someone's financials. It was a great meeting. Everyone really enjoyed it. If you want to be part of this community, if you want accountability, this is a great way to do it. And last but not least, the Path to Purpose Coaching Program I've had so much joy doing this coaching program, and the truth of the matter is, on my Path to Purpose website page, that's earnandinvest.com slash coaching, people leave comments all the time. They tell their whole life story, they ask if coaching could be good for them, and then I never hear from them again. And this is going to be what we talk about in the after show segment in a moment, if you want something different. If you want a different outcome, then you need to do something different. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to have the same outcomes. I know there are many of you right now listening to this that have contemplated getting coaching, especially around purpose. Make the jump. Go to com slash coaching. You won't regret it, and you won't regret being part of the Earn and Invest community. So either join the Facebook group. Let someone know about an episode you appreciated think about the mastermind or coaching, and now to the after show. It was a blast talking to Kyle Collins about his book, especially about the concept of generational trauma. This is something I think a lot about. It was a big part of my book, The Purpose Code, which is coming out in January 2025, and it has also become a huge part of my coaching practice, The Path to Purpose Coaching Practice. If you want to know more about that, go to earnandinvest.com slash coaching. There are really two big concepts that I think are crystallized in my conversation with Kyle that I come up against over and over again in coaching, and it has to do with change. And this is what I find. People have an inkling of what they want. They have an inkling of purpose in their life and they go after that thing and they find that it doesn't make them happy. And so the interesting part about this is when they find that it doesn't make them happy instead of trying something new or doing something different, they double down. I call this the double down phenomena and it often makes people unhappy. We all know about this. Someone is into fitness, they start working out, they find that they don't enjoy their workouts anymore, and they're not getting the results they want. So what do they do? They work out harder or do more. Maybe the same thing with their career. They're not happy where their career is going. They're looking at Instagram. They're seeing how successful everyone else is. And so even though they don't like their career, they double down and work harder. Same with finances. Some people don't love budgeting. Some people don't love earning and investing. And they do it for a while and they think, ah, I don't like this. This is not fun. I'd rather be spending my money. But what do they do? They double down and try to invest more. It's the concept of if what you're doing isn't working for you, try something different. In other words, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. And I see this over and over again in coaching. And I think that's exactly what generational trauma is. If you do the same things that your ancestors did, if you do the same things that make you unhappy in your past, they're going to keep making you unhappy in your future. If you want different results, you need to do things differently. Let me say that again. If you want different results, you need to do things differently. This actually takes me to the second point, which I really thought about a lot as I was talking to Kyle about generational trauma. The second concept is, if you want to grow and expand, you have to step out of your comfort zone. And by nature, by definition, this is going to be uncomfortable. So if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to break generational trauma, if you want to bring more purpose into your life you're going to have to do something that's going to feel uncomfortable. Again, if you do the same things, you're going to get the same results. If you stay within your comfort zone, you're going to get the same exact results that you've always gotten, which might be comfortable but clearly aren't making you more happy. If you want to be more happy, if you want better results, if you want to grow and expand... You've got to step out of that comfort zone, and by nature, it's going to feel disjointed, dysregulated, and difficult. If you're not feeling disjointed, dysregulated, and that you're going through something difficult, you are probably not stepping out of your comfort zone, and therefore you are probably not growing, and what's going to happen? You're going to get the same results that you always got two key concepts. I see them all the time in coaching. I hear them when I interview people on the podcast, and I think they generally have to do with generational trauma. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. And if you want to grow and expand, you're going to have to do something new. You're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And by nature, that's going to feel dysregulated, difficult, maybe even painful. And you should Expect that. You should expect that discomfort. You should embrace it. I'm not saying that it doesn't make you feel bad internally, that it doesn't make your chest flutter, all of those normal physiologic things that happen when you try something new. But instead of seeing that as a negative, I think for all of us, when we feel that way inside, this dysregulation, we should actually see it as a sign of growth all right i keep things running just for a little bit to be part of the after show um i really loved your part about that book i mean about i really love that part about your book i love this idea an idea that i don't think we talk about enough That we really have to explore ourselves in the process of bringing up children, not only so that we get better, do better, feel better, stop struggling with achievements and enough, etc., but also so we don't kind of pass that stuff all down to our children. And I think... the. You know, the default is to mindlessly pass all your trauma to your children. I mean, that's what I think most people do, whether they realize it or not. And so what I really liked about your book is that it, it was a very thoughtful attempt to do just the, exactly the opposite. To, yeah. like, talk to your children and say, this is who I am. This is what I've gone through. This is w- the positive that comes from that. Yeah. And let's end this here.
0: Yeah. And I think in life it's very easy to become a victim, right? A lot of these things, I could have used these as crutches to never do anything with my life, but that's not the life I want. And I I think people can recognize like, you know what? Just like I just said, yeah, it wasn't my fault, but it is my responsibility how I want to show up in the world from here forward. And I really, really, really have awesome kids. I mean. I consciously ask myself, like, what am I doing right now that's going to make them end up in therapy twenty years down the road? You know, I'm. I'm I have that mindset of it might be the type of dad I want to be.
1: So, tell me how hard it was for you to hand these chapters over to your wife and have her read them. Uh, were you stressed about it, or was it like, eh, she knows the story already I anyway? Mean. She knows the story, so it wasn't as hard. Honestly,
0: Jordan, it was way harder for the people in my life that I, I still love and have forgiven to know that they have these chapters like i didn't name them by name purposely but people close to me are going to know who these characters were and i just if i could speak to them like i, I recognize that's not who you wanted to be that you had your own crap going on in your life totally forgive you and i really recognize a lot of the times we learn what to do a lot of times we learn better what not to do and i think my upbringing i learned what i didn't want what not to do. And that was just as valuable to me as learning what to do from a good mentor.